tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Kristen DiConzolo, who took on the role of CEO of underwear brand Lively in August. Lively launched seven years ago as a direct-to-consumer brand and has since expanded to new categories and retail channels. As Kristen has big plans to catapult its growth from here, I wanted to ask how the current economic instability is impacting her roadmap. I also wanted to ask about the challenges of stepping in for a brand founder, especially one who served as the face of the company. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Jill. Nice to see you. you. Happy New Year. Oh, happy New Year to you. Talk me through it. Am I correct? August. Tell me about the transitional period um, that you've experienced from August to now. It's been so much fun. I have to be honest. I think that some of the elements that Michelle, the founder, put into place is definitely very true in terms of the company and elements that I'm trying to carry on in terms of living life passionately, purposefully, and confidently. You can see that with the team that they put together. Um, And I have to say, I'm honestly just having a blast, minus what's happening in the economy. But the team is great, and it's just been been a lot of fun, honestly. Oh, my gosh. Well, is this an exception to the rule? The underwear, bra industry, you know, such a pandemic hot category market. Is it at risk as, well, you're also in other categories that were hot during the pandemic. Let's be real. The swimwear, loungewear, activewear. What's happening with the company right now? Do you feel stable, I guess? The company is definitely in a place where we want to get back to where it was during the launch period uh, in terms of our connection with our community, in terms of resonating, making sure that we have the right products for the customers. Um, Our community's grown with us. They've aged with us also. So we want to make sure that maybe what she had when she was 25 might be different almost 10 years later, uh, but still igniting that new fresh audience as well. Um, No, the intimates category is not uh, at all um, uh, riding a different path than other categories. We are not immune to any of the economic strife with supply chain, um, cost of goods, uh, personnel. However, it is a category that women need. It is an item that they're always going to purchase. It's not a um, package goods where they're going to be buying it every single day, but it is an item that they need as a part of their wardrobe. And what we consider it is, it is their foundational garment. They start the day with us. It's the first thing they put on. Well, you came over from Wachole, which is the parent company, Acquired Lively. Tell me about, um, I I would say like moving from established, how long has Wachole been around? For a very long time. <laughs> Wacol internationally has been around for a very long time, over 70 years, and obviously here in America, over 30 years. Listen, they do a lot of great things, but one of the things that they, the reason why, one of the reasons Michelle wanted to partner with Wacol is because they share a lot of the same ethos, which is mutual respect. And in this day and age, there aren't a lot of companies that lead with that, Um They talk about a lot of the features and benefits, et cetera. But Wacol really talks about treating everyone internally, externally the same with the same respect. And that definitely resonated with me. And that definitely resonated with Michelle, the founder, when she chose um, this partnership on the go forward. So I think in some of the ways, whereas Wacol is a major giant in the intimate space, there's a lot that Lively can learn from its big sister. 
But much like having a younger little sister, we can kind of try, test, live in beta, um, and and be a little riskier with some of our tactics and teach our big sister. It goes both ways. Having come from the parent company, you have that great experience there. What opportunity or yeah, where can you leverage Wacol, the resources, the teams to really help drive Lively forward? They have so, uh, overwhelming amounts of knowledge in every facet of the business. And I think that they're going to help guide us in terms of of everything, everything that the company does, but still keeping Lively intact. The purpose of Wacol acquiring Lively was not to make Lively like its parent company. They, we, Wacol acquired Lively for the, for the very purpose of the special unique nature of what Lively brings to the intimate space, which is that connection with the community that you can't, uh, you can't make up. It is natural, it's authentic, and it's genuine with who, who the brand is, who Lively is. Our customers resonated with the product because it was so authentic and we were creating the product and we still are creating product with them in mind with them first the whole reason why lively launched into swim as a category was because she was wearing our bralettes as swim and so we thought this is a great opportunity she's already wearing our bralettes as swim let's try she's asking she wants it and so that's what we're doing um, it's the same reason why we're launching into international markets she's been asking she's been requesting so we're going to go into Canada um, this year. Well, tell me where this conversation is happening, where she's asking these things, where you're fueling that community. Sure. Some of it is very traditional one-on-one conversations that either our CX representatives are having over the phone, email, chat, in-store experiences, of course. But given that it's 2023, a large portion of this conversation is obviously happening via social media across all of our various platforms. We do still very much believe in in-person community events, and we've been having them. Uh, we had a ton over the holidays. We continue to have them, and we're taking cues from her on what she's interested in. Um, we're going to have vision board meetings. We had a candle making shop. We had a wreath making session. We had obviously um, uh, uh, mammogram tests. Um, happening in store around Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So whatever she thinks is relevant, she is guiding and directing where our events are going, who our partnership is with, where she may not have access, but we're going to grant her that access. When you say vision board meetings, is this like a personal, like a Pinterest board? Is that, or is this crowdsourcing? You're having them, you're asking them direct questions about the vision from here for Lively. Uh, A little bit, but this is more sort of the start of the new year, uh, knew you. And so she is going to come into our stores and she's going to decide what she wants for her future. And we're going to give her that talk. I think that obviously around mental health awareness, we're obviously very focused on that with our community, lifting her up to, to her living her best life, whatever that is in that moment. I think that even me specifically, I'm such a planner. I'm so type A, but everything that happened during COVID, I, it is what it is, right? There's no scheduling. There's no planning. And, and we're writing a little more, um, with the times and in the moment, as opposed to to thinking too far out, because, you know, I think not to get too deep, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. 
And I think our customer is thinking that way. That's why she's tapping more into experiences. She's really still thinking about what she wants to do when she leaves her home because there's still some trepidation in that as well. Tell me what your differentiators are, whether that is the customer um, who's shopping lively versus other brands, because man, this is a crowded space for sure. You know, I think that uh, our, one of our biggest differentiators is obviously our, our community, for sure. Um, I know I sounded like a broken record, but I think we're not big box corporation. We are a startup that um, has grown into quite a good business, but it's definitely with the support of our community and what they're guiding us. We're listening to our customers and that feedback. The other piece of it is we... When Michelle founded the company, she used this term leisure. You know, it's fascinating to me that um, women talk about their periods more than they talk about their bras, which you would think that your period is much more of an intimate conversation than your bras or your underwear. And it's a category that we're all wearing, we're all using on a daily basis, but for some reason we're hush-hush about fit and what it looks like and the purpose and the solution for it. So she created the space called Leisure, where it's it's leisure and and it's also lingerie. And I think that it's so it doesn't feel um, so it doesn't feel like a bad word and it doesn't feel so private and it should be comfortable and it should be a part and you know what you're wearing underneath is going to give you that confidence for the rest of the day. You know, think about what you wear on date night versus what you're going to wear to the gym versus what you're going to wear to the first day at the job. It's all different, right? I think there's always that joke in those rom-coms that say she's going to put on her black lacy underwear, right? It's part (laughs) of that whole confidence boosting um, and what's going to make her feel a certain way. At the end of the day, everything is about feeling emotion and connection. And we just want to give her the upstart to do that. Well, you mentioned Michelle. So the founder is Michelle Codero Grand. And on the Insta- on your Instagram account, Lively's Instagram account, there's even like a meet Michelle section or um, I guess a highlight section. And that's been, she's been updating that within the last couple of weeks. Tell me about, like you said, your tight-knit community. Um, I think I read somewhere that she'll be kind of on board for PR purposes through like March. Um, but yeah, w- is the conversation already happening? Do they know what's coming? Maybe she won't be as accessible or um, that you are in the role? What do they know? And what's the, I guess, will there be an announcement of sorts? I think that she's always forever going to be a part of the company. I mean, she's the heart and soul of, of the brand very much so. It's like with any other company where the founder leaves or the head of design leaves or whatever, they're still very much a part of who we are. So the relationship with her is still intact. There really hasn't been a need for that conversation because um, she's still a part of us. She's still a part of our community. Like you said, she's still doing relevant content. She's still making sure she's a part of um, the day-to-day with her. You know, our emails to our customers um, are still signed from Michelle and that's an important piece of who we are in our DNA. So we're not, we're definitely not forgetting. We're only evolving. Uh, but she's still very much a part of it. And she's still very much a part of the conversations. I think the team's having happy hour with her this week. Um, it's, it's all love. 
Very fun. Well, tell me about the timeline, I guess, from the time maybe um, the employees got used to the new setup with Wacol or be, but or maybe not, um, by the time you moved into this role. Um, I'm sure there were concerns there as well. And kind of, yeah, again, stepping into that role as in a leadership position, which I've done that as well. <laughs> I mean, it's not easy, let's be real. But um, yeah, what was your approach and what were the co- concerns and conversations? I think that the part that people forget is the acquisition happened a couple of years ago. It happened pre-COVID. So some of the marrying up with a parent company took place before I stepped into the role of CEO. So the back end stuff, HR, finance, warehouses, uh, the meat and potatoes happened already. Um, I think part of having someone come over is to ensure that there is an ease within um, company ethos and making sure that uh, those that worked at Lively were familiar with someone. Uh, you know, it is a big change and they didn't want someone coming in and understanding the identity of both companies, I think was important to the board. Um, Michelle and I partnered really well. I'm not trying to make this sound like a Disney movie, although I don't know if Disney movies have been canceled or not, but I'm not trying to make it sound like a fairy tale of sorts, but we spoke often. We talked a lot about her team. Um, We talked, that was the most important part of the transition, obviously. I made it a point to have one-on-ones with every single person in the company um, so that they could feel that connection with me and I could feel that connection with them and and to get to know them as people as opposed to just what's your role in the company um, and to know what makes them tick. I think that was a big part of it was the people part. Uh, the work and what had to be done was sort of self-evident in terms of getting back to basics, getting back to our community. So I think ensuring the trust both ways, you know, it's not just about the leader uh you know, it, it's not just about the leader. It's both ways. So I have to make sure that they had the trust in me um, to do so. And and a part of that whole journey was being completely transparent with what were the next steps. So, you know, doing big 30-day analysis of what's happening and make sure, making sure everyone from part-time to full-time knew what was happening in the company and then checking in with them, them again, especially critically within those first 90 days, because we were making some pretty swift changes in regards to customer experience, especially from a digital setting, which you could do right away. Um, but ensuring that level of transparency for them, uh, making sure that we were having fun in the process and checking in. You know, I think in the age of remote working, you miss that water cooler chatter. And I really work to try and ignite that virtually. So I think sometimes it scares the shit out of people. I'll do random pop-ins where I just call them. And, oh, and it's not just, it's, it's just to create that level of um, spontaneity that you used to have when you saw them in the office. But I realized that given my role, it probably was a little shocking at first as to why is she calling me? But I think everyone in the company is sort of used to it now. But just letting, checking in, letting them know um, uh, when I think they're doing a great job and giving them in real time feedback. I think that's been a big part of the transition period and transparency on the business, where we stand, what we're doing really well and and where we have um, some room to fix and to play. And so I think that that, has been overwhelming, um, great feedback, great uh, connection with the company and all been really receptive to it. Um, And Michelle and I did that together 
uh, in the short term. And then we realized it was also quite challenging for the company to sort of have two leaders at the same time. And we mutually, I remember her, her and I both getting on a call being like, yeah, we, they can't have both. It's confusing for them. Um, and so making, uh, and, and being adults about it and having that conversation with one another, I think she made it pretty seamless for me. And I think I made it pretty seamless for her so that she could get back to what she really enjoys doing as part of Lively. Well, first of all, are you guys, is working from home, it's working. Some of these um, tactics you've employed, like is the plan to stay put for the time being for a while? No immediate plans to go back to the office? We have a hybrid model now. It's a pretty generous hybrid model, but I think in terms of connecting in, in person is very important, especially as we have these community events. We need to be practicing what we're preaching you know what I mean? If we believe in community and we believe in togetherness, we need to be doing it together as a company. I think, you know, sometimes where companies fail is they they don't put enough, um, cre- they don't give their customers, their community, their audience enough credibility. They can sense when there's discord internally, you know, it's it can be seen. And um, we want to make sure that if we're putting that out there, that language, that those ethos out into the market, that we're living them. Well, tell me about the first 90 days. You mentioned kind of an acceleration of some digital changes. What was happening then? You know, we really need to, we did an audit of a lot of things. We did a site audit, we did a customer audit, product, you name it. We basically looked at everything as to where it was and where we are now to understand what's resonating with her. She's changed, the market's changed, Uh, phones have changed. In seven years, desktop experiences change, mobile experience, and making sure that we are on the offense of it all. So um, in those days, we did a site audit. We made some pretty major site enhancements to make sure that we were uh, tapping into what she wanted to look at in the site and the product that she wanted to see and what was resonating with her. And it's not a fixed point. Digital is constantly evolving. And so we need to make sure that we're constantly evolving also. You know, she wants to, all the research shows, if you put a photo on a product page, she'll look at them all day long. She'll look at a thousand if you put a thousand up. But how can we make sure that it's digestible and we're going to see conversion from that perspective? Um, And what what content and what videos and features and benefits we're putting out there that really resonates with her. You know, the customer really wants to know the why, you know, why, why this for me, why do I need it? And we need to make that super digestible for her. Um, Sometimes in the intimates business lots of businesses, actually uh, it's so technical and she's like, does it feel good? Is it going to give me lift? And am I going to look like, you know, Am I going to look like a pinup or, or what have you? And that's really all she wants to know. Is it comfortable? And we need to make sure that we're giving that to her right away so that when she's seeing it, she understands what's the differentiator. Um, and so that's what we did really quickly in the first 90 days, leaning in on the product that she really likes. We probably overly assorted slightly during the pandemic when she really wanted to be comfortable but coming out of pandemic, she really wants solutions. And you can see that from the fashion trends. Clothes are getting tighter. Clothes are more revealing. Um, and women are becoming uh, very, they're looking at all their TikToks and they're watching all the hacks. But if you have the right undergarments, you don't need these hacks. Uh, you can just wear the right bra and it, it will work for you or, or the sticky in the right way. Or we have tape launching um, this spring, you know, a, our head of design was in a public restroom 
and she saw a woman ace bandage her boobs into whatever she needed for her dress. And she's like, oh my gosh, you don't need that. You just need this one thing. Um, and of course, once people find out what I do or what our head of design or anyone that works in intimates, what they do for a living, uh, you get cornered and people want to know more. It's a conversation people want to talk about. It's just not talked about enough. For sure. Well, tell, that tell me about the evolution. Me. Yeah, the evolution of the brand, because um, like you said, we've talked about you. You've expanded to new categories. Um, you know, do you say or are you going there with shapewear? It seems like a lot of the shapewear brands have really evolved to be anything and everything. And are they a shapewear <laughs> brand? Um, but yeah, is lifestyle send, um, brand, is that like the end goal? Or anyway, shapewear, where are you in this whole area? You know, I think we want to make sure that we're providing her the products that we do really well. And what she really likes from us is obviously our very comfortable bras and underwear. And so while shapewear is not on the short list, I will never say never, but she really likes the items from us that are wire-free, more generous. She is looking for more solutions because like I said, she's getting older. So your boobs when you're 25 are a little bit different than when you're 45. Um, and I think understanding that and being really comfortable and confident in her body and how the clothes fit over, um, you know, I can say this off the record ish. I'm not a medical professional and I'm not trying to take away from this business, but lots of times if you're in the right size and the right size bra, you can really get a, a one to two inch lift and you don't need to see a physician and pay that money for it. Um, so if you take the time of having a 20 to 30 minute fit in our store, trying on, um, you will see that difference. And the best test, honestly, for women is not just getting the fit. Put a white t-shirt on. See what it looks like after. That's the really biggest indicator of, of your shape and, and the lift that you're receiving. We'll be right back after this quick break. Well, tell me about direct-to-consumer model. Obviously, you know, you have your perks, advantages, and that include community, as you've mentioned, um, disadvantages. When you talk about, um, again, on the digital front, on marketing, was there maybe too much reliance on, well, the the new privacy laws and rules and, and I guess, roadblocks? Was that an issue um, that you were up against? And I think for everybody was, but um, navigating that, was that a big focus? A hundred percent. I mean, I think everyone felt it right away. We're still feeling it actually. And thinking about what's to come, obviously with Google um, and their plans as well um, in terms of everything that they're going to do with their cookie updates also. Um, No, I mean, listen, anyone that was heavily invested in a certain social channel felt felt the pinch. Um, I think what we needed to do was ensure that how we were communicating with our customer first party, email, text, social, um, organically, that became more important. Understanding the health of your database. It's one thing to say you have a gajillion followers or email addresses or text messages, but how engaged are they with you? Are they repeating? Intimates is a category where they're not buying from you all the time. So while while certain companies might say having a lapsed customer for, for a year is a long time, we would say, really? Sometimes she doesn't come back for three years because while women should be 
buying intimates every six months, every year. They don't because they think it can last forever. And trust me, before I started in intimates, I was wearing a maternity bra and my son was 10. So <laughs> just to give you a sense. Um, but I, but I think that yes, a hundred percent, but we have really focused on the health of our database and the content that we're providing her really understanding that personalization of segmentation has become critical. People don't need to be sending out these big blasts all the time. They really need to be concentrating and making sure that she's having that personalized experience. The customer's smart. She understands when she's receiving certain um, emails or certain texts for a certain reason and her flow in that customer channel, right? I mean, the biggest joke always is big brother's always watching. If you're a, if you're a 40 triple D, there's no reason I should be sending you an email about push-up. And if you're a 30A, there's no reason I should be sending you an email about minimizing, so I think that the customer wants that personalized experience. So it was it's super important for marketers to make sure that they're honing in on that as opposed to um, it fits all, one size fits all, and it doesn't. And that's okay because we're all unique and we all have different bodies and we need to make sure that we're celebrating those bodies and she's not receiving something that just makes her feel like she's just a number. Tell me about that, um, the number, size inclusivity. Like, are you guys constantly looking to push that, like, further? Um, or are you in a happy place? Is that a differentiator at this point in time? Or how? what's the importance of it now? Right now, I mean, our average size is not is not in the larger sizes. I mean, I think because she started quite young, quite frankly, is probably, you know, why it started in, in more average size. That's what we do really well. There's other companies that do plus size incredibly well, Wacole being one of them. Um, we, again, part of that authenticity, staying true to who we are, we need to do what we do really well. And I think when companies over-diversify, even with skin tones or even with body sizes, um, it can feel inauthentic if they really haven't been doing that or they're reaching and trying to partner with someone that does do it well because they just don't have that expertise. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people, I mean, I, as a person of color, there was a, a, there was sort of this race for all the body tones, but they weren't really selling. And so, you know, it became another marketing story again, as opposed to being authentic for your brand. So the customer can feel that. Right. Yeah. And for so sure. I think that we are trying to stay really good at what we're good at and in our our lane. Um, that doesn't mean that if we don't receive feedback from the customer, we're not going to. We have a line called All You Lively, which is sold at Target. And the feedback was that we needed to move up into the triple XL. And we did. And it's been selling, you know, it, and it will sell really well in there for that market specifically. And so we listened and we pivoted and we changed. Um, and I think that's what it's about. It's about being able to listen and react. We obviously are capable, you know, we have the luxury of being able to do so being a sort of smaller, um, company. Obviously, if you're huge, it's much harder to pivot in real time. Um, but we're able to do that. We have really great partners, um, to do so. Great. Well, Digitally Native, you now have stores. You now, you mentioned Target, have retail partners. Tell me about your sales channels, your your sales distribution mix, I guess. It goes back to wanting to make sure that we're where she wants us to be. 
Um, our, our primary focus is obviously on our own channel. That's the bread and butter of our business. That's what's keeping the lights on. Um, but obviously, you know, she's also shopping. She's a cool girl. She shops at Target. She likes to find new brands there. Digital native brands are discovered um, at channels like that. So that's been an incredible partnership for us. Um, and being able to obviously buy the product at a slightly lower uh, price point. We've been going into new markets with um, our retail stores where we feel that we have a really engaged audience um, to be able to drive our community events and retail is still a part of our plan. Um, And obviously Amazon. Amazon is where everyone is. And we want to make sure that if she wants the convenience of Amazon, that we're there, but she's still receiving our full branded experience um, when she goes and visits there so that there's a differentiator. Uh, We've tested Amazon in a bunch of different ways even before I got there. So I think we're in a good spot. We relaunched with Lounge. Um, as well, because that was another category that she obviously wanted over the holidays. I always joke that not everyone is going to buy a thong for their Nana for the holidays. So obviously we need some other uh, categories in there and lounge was helpful. If they are buying thongs for their Nana, no judgment. Um, I just, uh, in the market is not the norm. (laughs) I hear you. How many stores are more stores to come? We have five stores currently, um, and, and, you know, we're always looking and researching um, for further development. Where are you seeing great traction? I, you, I know, again, founder Michelle, um, she's very forward in terms of tech. Like, she's involved in NFTs. She's, I think, eyeing the metaverse. Um, you're on TikTok, uh, the brand, as according to your highlights. I think that's newer. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Um, Remaining on the on top of of new um, opportunities, I would think is very important. Where do you see opportunity now? Yeah, I think that it honestly, the biggest opportunities um, that we see for us are within the site in regards to everything that you're going to see from voice search and personalization and that on-site enhancement. Um, a lot of things are super flashy. A lot of things look really great in theory, but I think that as we're staying true to community and where she is, we need to focus on making sure that the site experience is the most optimal for her. Um, and then obviously with all the content that we're supporting, TikTok is something that we started a while back. Um, and then we've sort of come back in a much larger way, fun, very real, nothing overly produced, real people. We use a lot of people that are on our team. Again, living that voice of authenticity is very much everyone on our team is living lively. And we need to tap into us. I say the, the best focus group we have is within our own company because that's our that's our target market. Um, and that's rare. So it's something that we need to definitely use, capitalize on, especially in terms of testing product, giving opinions, obviously content that resonates. You know, I've been in this business a long time and I always say, um, I know what marketers are doing online, but I fall for these ads all the time. And I don't think that I need this crazy dish for my dog, but for some reason they're targeting me. And now I own this crazy dish for my dog because that's what they told me to do. And I go, I'm such a sucker. I fell for it. I did it. That great piece of snackable content. I saw it. And, and we all do those random Instagram and TikTok ads. I've tried to recreate some of the TikTok recipes, but that's a disaster. Those, those don't really come out well for me. I agree. Who are they kidding? It is not that easy. <laughs> I know. I tried. I'm like, there's no four steps. This is my, I'm about to set my kitchen on fire, but it's fine. Yeah. Well, you know, this, invest, 
Yes, someday. You have these ambassadors. Um, would you say that influencers, like, they're around, they're here to stay, they're effective for you. What's your take now? Yeah, I think that a lot, especially us specifically, is we're really tapping into probably more micro, um, those that are obviously super influential, not gazillions of followers, but super influential within their space, um, within what they do. Um we want people that are authentic to our brand. So it feels good and it feels right for whoever they're engaging with it. There are certain people that have massive followings that resonate across the board, but those are very few. Um, so we're not looking for, we're not looking for one and done. We're looking for relationships and those that really follow us along the journey. I mean, we've used Christy cook, who's been a part of our, um, who's been a part of our family, let's say for many, many years. And I think that her audience understands that relationship with her. Well, tell me about your international expansion for this. Super exciting. It is exciting. Where do you see opportunity um, in what markets? Is it necessary to have feet on the ground in those markets? Yeah, this is where I think we can really learn from our big sister, given that we have international exposure uh, all, all over. Um, we're going to test with our neighbors to the north in Canada because that's obviously a very easy relationship to have. Um, and we've had a lot of requests from our community because, you know, those that come to New York, you know, tourists that see the store and they they want it up there. Um, probably Europe will be next in the fold. Um, but where we really see opportunity is is that partnership back with our big sister that's going to walk hold. It's really going to help us to expand in these other markets from their learnings. I think something that we're probably going to get back into a little bit more, um, which helped us in terms of door expansion for retail is really with pop-ups. And I think that that will be really helpful, um, you know, to see the engagement and also um, to build that community and that trust as well. So I would say this year we're tapping into Canada and there's definitely, definitely more to come. Uh, we want to, we want to test. We want to make sure that it's working right. We want to learn. Um, and, you know, obviously given the state of the economy, we don't want to rush. We don't want to rush. We want to make sure that we're, we're doing it effectively and that we're in the right place at the right time. You mentioned at one point um, the importance of getting, you know, the value of getting folks into stores to try on the bra and to feel how it fits. Um, have you had to get crafty about um, returns or um, any processes put in place to allow more people to try on the bras without it killing your margins and such? Yeah. Listen, we have a pretty generous return policy. We've also um, put into place exchanges so I think that that's been very helpful for our business. We have an incredible uh, customer experience team who works with all of our customers on the phone and an email to make sure that was it the product, uh, what solution are you looking for, so that it's not just um, an endpoint. We don't want to we don't want to kill the experience. We want to make sure to keep that conversation going. So. Um, it's been really helpful to have them in place and really become these fit style experts that give the feedback. It's funny because this seems to be the case in intimates in general, but the phone 
the average length of a phone call is much longer than like a regular apparel. I was, I started in ready to wear because there's so much more to talk about. You know, she's saying, I have this special occasion. I need to, I need this type of bra. My dress looks like this. And then they want to talk about their family. It's very interesting. They feel very comfortable talking to people on the phone and, and giving that life, life experience. So I think, um, getting them to exchange as opposed to, uh, full stop return is helpful in terms of our relationship and that customer journey with them. Yes. I tell you what, my mother is like swears by Wacol bras. And like, anyway, I've heard about this my whole year, like uh, my whole life. I've got to get to this store to find my bra. Like, tell me about customer loyalty. I would think once you find your bra, you're in. <laughs> it fits. Don't think twice. Yeah. I would say that, that that's true. However, your body changes. So you need to be very aware. If that band is getting tighter, it probably means you need a different size. Also, if you're post breastfeeding, the whole shape and everything is different. So you need different types of bras for different occasions. And I think that the more we educate her, listen, when you're younger, it's much easier to be in a more generous fit, super liberal on what things are, um, bralettes, everything being very loose. But when you get older or you have more tissue, you could be young and have more tissue too, you need more support and you need more solutions. And I think that um, that's what we have to, that's, I trust me, my mother is more in the same bra her whole life. And, and, and I, I have these visions of them hang drying in the laundry room. Um, and, uh, and I'm always like, you have to tighten your straps, just tighten your straps every time I see her. And I go, that's, what's going to give you the lift. Um, and, and she's like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> but I think that I, I think that women, um, much like the way that I, much like I feel women are being about shoes and ready to wear that sometimes the size is a little different that we're not fixated on a number, you know? And I think that as we're hopefully moving into a more body positive and it doesn't, there's no weight in that, that, um, that women just know that however it fits and however it looks is what's more important. You know, we have all crammed our foot into that shoe to make sure that it works or have added, um, so many insoles to make a bigger shoe fit, um, but for some reason with bras, we're fixated on a number and it just isn't true. Um, your number should definitely be your number, but uh, plus or minus five pounds, you're going to have a swing. So the example I always give is when it's that time of the month, you have your skinny jeans and you have that time of the month jeans, right? Well, you're going to gain weight during that time of the month. So you should have that time of the month bra also. Ah, Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel like there's so much education that needs to be done. And yet there is that stat that's been floating around for years about like X percent of women wear the wrong size bra and it's so high. And I feel like that's very well known. And I feel like people continue to wear the wrong size bra. <laughs> it's true. And you know, I think that one of the challenges too, is there are some influencers um, for other brands that are showcasing what they feel how a bra should fit properly and it really isn't. 
And I think that that's um, creating some of that, that confusion as well. Mariah, who's the head of design at Wacol, she says it's creating fit pollution. And, and I very much agree with her that, that if we're not showing them how it really should be worn and they think it should be worn, you know, like one of these swimsuit influencers, it's not the way. Oh my gosh. Coming soon to Glossy, WTF is fit pollution. That's a really interesting yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. We talk a lot you about it. You should have the- Mariah on. You should have Mariah on from Wacol. I mean, she can really go into, into that for sure. She's very knowledgeable. So interesting. Well, gosh, 2023, you've mentioned the crazy economic instability kind of whatever will happen will happen <laughs> how any plans definite plans definite goals for the year that you can share yeah for 2023 i mean the concentration is really to get back to her to get back to the community the customer and to what we were 7 years ago it's focusing on the products that were winning leaning in on those that could be color expansion size expansion of where we think that she wants us to be there's also going to be user experience on our site um, that we're going to be leaning into the personalization enhanced technology that's going to make her experience easier, better. And then, um, you know, obviously for us, we wanted to equal higher conversion as well. Um, the, the other parts of everything is, is just to make sure that we are spending smartly. Um, it's going to, every dollar is going to count this year. Her share of wallet is going to shrink this year. So we want to make sure that we're making, um, we're giving her the why that she needs, understanding what she's going through as well, and to be there and support her also. Um, we want to ensure that we have the best product, best customer service, and, and that we're doing it smart and transparently to her. And she'll be there across the whole journey. The other part is with data. I mean, listen, we're a digital first company. We have data coming out of our ears, but we want to make sure that we're actually, it's no longer just about having data. It's how can you use the data smartly to engage? There has to be an action. It can no longer just be data for data's sake. Um, There has to be a reason that we're going to move forward and execute. We have so many smart people within the company um, that are going to guide us in that right direction and and tell us exactly how we need to be using that data. Um, Companies, we're just sitting on too much of it, all of us, and we're doing nothing with it. We're just saying, we, I think every company, especially every digital native company has so many reports, but what are we doing with those reports? And the biggest goal is going to be the action items that come out afterwards. We're doing all this, why? And then moving forward. Can you make sense of that in-house? Is it like some outside partners, experts coming in to, to support that? No, it's definitely all in-house. I mean, we have a super talented group of people, uh, very smart, very engaged. And I think that they're going to to help us uh, achieve that that next step for sure. It's definitely an exciting time to be there. I think change is always a, a really good thing for everyone. I have to say, I've, I'm... I hope you can see it. I'm having pretty monotone, but I'm having a, I'm having a blast, honestly. I think that it's... Um, it's it's awesome to be around such an engaged, passionate group of people. Uh, it definitely makes my job a lot easier. Um, and then the other really thing about 2023 is making sure that the people within our company feel um, connected and engaged and developing um, that plan. 
I think that a lot of companies don't focus enough on their own people. And that's a really important part of how I lead and manage um, and making sure that the people component comes first. Well, Kristen, it sounds like the company is in excellent hands. <laughs> Excited to follow the brand from here. It's so good to chat with you today. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me and um, have a great rest of the new year. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.